This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it was a pivotal week in Ukraine as the first war crime trials were taking place. Former judge and lawmaker Mikhailo Zernikov is live in Ukraine with us here on the Shift, and he brings us updates with everything that's happening across the country. Traveling is not getting easy easier, but it's still getting easier. Travel expert Claire Newell has tips and tricks on how to make your summer vacations as painless as possible. Plus, is now the time to start pre-booking your winter holidays because costs with travel, like everything else, seem to be going up. And Game Showy is back here on the shift with trivia all about the battle of alberta because canada's two remaining hockey teams are fighting it out officially starting wednesday and in 1991 was the last time they did it so that's what we do game showy about the flames and the oilers this is the shift podcast what an unbelievable wednesday and start to the battle of alberta in canadian hockey the only two canadian teams left are fighting it out, which really kind of sucks if you think about it. You know how Canadian teams got to kick out Canadian teams to keep going? That's not fun. Well, if you are uh, not aware of the history of the Battle of Alberta, or if you're not even a hockey person and you're curious about what all the hubbub is, there's no better way to understand what's going on than to play game showing. That's right. It is the most game showy show out there. Your favorite time of the week. Today's trivia topic is all about the Battle of Alberta and the last time it happened in the playoffs in 1991. Our categories are the Battle of Alberta trivia and 1991. As you can tell, our budgets are a little short right now at the end of the month. And that's all we can come up with. All right, here's your host, Ryan O'Donnell, or as we like uh, to call him, Rodonoddle. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bob. What a show we've got planned for you today. I don't know why I'm now a hockey announcer. Yes, 19 has <laughs> down the far side now. Um, it's not the sexy voice, so as long as it's not it's the sexy not voice, we're good. Anything but the sexy voice. Yes, 1991 and the Battle of Alberta. The last time Canada's uh, Albertan teams met in the playoffs, it was a wild series, and uh, tonight's game was evident that it will happen again, perhaps even more wild. So we're going to play some trivia. If you get the answer correct, you hear this sound. Hey! Oh, happy sounds if it's wrong simple as that and as always each of you my fine contestants can use Mm -hmm. the text line once you can go to the text line once so if you know the answer to the question i ask text it in 877-399-9898 you could help one of these contestants win the ultimate prize which is bragging rights but the, honestly from how competitive you two are bragging rights is probably worth more than a million dollars nope uh, <laughs> we are both way too frugal for that the one thing we will agree upon is that we would rather have a million dollars yes probably and i will probably. argue that i'm not the least bit competitive <laughs> oh, I, that's okay, pretty good argue away. that's pretty good man that's pretty so, good i'll give you credit for that one <laughs> now uh for 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 the so we've got uh, the categories as a reminder we have the battle of alberta specific to the hockey and then 1991 not uh, much to my, do with hockey that's my dude that's my job what are you doing 
I what? get to do that part. I you get to do that part. Did that part. I'm, you already did Why that part. I'm reminding before we jump in. All right. Uh, Brendan, can you uh, play the music thing? Here it comes. Your categories are the Battle of Alberta Trivia and 1991 Trivia with a very secret skill testing category of two years after 1989 Trivia just to make a third category. All right, well, let's get started. Uh, I don't remember who won last time. <laughs> was so, it? It's was, usually, it was, was as it? always me, however. Usually. Yeah. It's usually the guy oh, who reads ahead and cheats with the answers. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Brendan, uh, I'm going to let you go first this time. Pick a category, my friend. Uh, wow. Okay, I'll go with, uh, since I know nothing about hockey, even though I still won the last one, which was about hockey, which was hilarious, yeah. even though I know nothing. Um, I'll go with 1991. All right. happens when you cheat. Yeah. Well, your first question is a doozy. Oh. How much did a beer cost at the Saddle oh. Dome? In 1991, was it $3, $6.50, $2.50, or $5? Um, $3. That is correct. $3 was indeed correct, the answer. Uh, for contrast... Today, in 2022, a beer will cost you a healthy $9.75. I uh, cheated by traveling through time. <laughs> wow, that me. was a quick time travel. You yeah. didn't even need to get to 88 uh, miles an how, hour. That's how I cheated. That's impressive. Uh-huh. If you want to uh, get your guests in and help out, 877-399-9898, because you never know. We could use it. You never know. All right, Shane, uh, pick mm-hmm. a category, Battle of Alberta or 1991. Wow, I'm going to have to take the Battle of Alberta because Mr. Vancouver Pants over there did the other one. All right. Okay, here's a question. There have been hundreds of Battles of Albertas over the years. Your question is this. What team has won more in the regular season than the other? The Flames or the Oilers? Which one has won more in the regular season? Defeated the most amount. Which one has won more? Of, of of victories, yes, in the Battle of Alberta. Okay, so there's going to be a big series in the 80s when the Oilers were super fantastic, and in the end of the 80s, it was the Flames. And then there was just a chunk where they were both terrible. Mm-hmm. And then the Flames had a little bit more in the early 2000s. Yep. And then there was that whole, yeah, I see, I'm a Flames fan, so I feel like if I pick the Oilers, I'm a bad fan. But I would just based on the seasons of mm-hmm. the winning, um, there was a real hot spot for Edmonton. Isn't there? But then there was a couple little cool spots for. Hey man, I'm working through this it. Should be a time limit. Yep. That's fine. Hey, I'm not. You went through time. I can take thirty I seconds. Even, I didn't. I don't have the budget for a timer. All right, I, I pick Calgary. Calgary, that is correct. Yes, the yes, Flames have won sir. 139 games. The Oilers have won 123, so it is very close. But there was a streak a few years ago where Calgary won nine games in a row against Edmonton, and that was mm. where the huge boost came from. It's pretty close, really. It is It is very close. The postseason one is not so close. Edmonton does have a slight edge at the moment on that. All right. Brendan Kelly. Oh, yeah. 
Pick my, a category, my friend. My guess is his internet was really slow there while he was Googling, so that's why he was trying to fill time with all that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go and keep my hands like this. Yeah, you considering you're the one in who's... The Zoom call. <laughs> hey, I've got too many buttons to push here to keep the show on the radio to bother with Googling. If I did that, you would know. That's true. Um, with that I being said, I will go with 1991 trivia again. 1991. All righty. Uh, mm, I'm not going to give you that one. That one's too easy. Uh, yeah, I think you'll get that one easily. Uh, what was the average? <laughs> no, it was not in excess. Oh. But good, it, it is music related. Oh, we good. are going to skip the music one for now. Uh, what was the average cost of a home in Alberta in 1991? A lot less than was it is it? now. Wow. $230,000? $170,000? $325,000? Or... $130,000. Price of a home in 1991. Uh, $130,000 since it's the last one you said and it's the only one I remember. That is, uh, I hate that that's correct. Yes, your reason, that is the correct answer. I don't know. $130,000 is the correct, which is, uh, man, I wish. Uh, How much are homes so, now, Ryan? So homes now on average across all of Calgary, which is the benchmark here, was 547,720. Um, you want to know the worst part about down. that? Yes. Is that people in Vancouver and um, and in Toronto, like people in Calgary are going, oh, and people in Vancouver and Toronto, they're going, bargain. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah well, uh, well, lots of my 1991 questions will give you that. Wait, wait, what? Kind of uh, mm. moment. All right, well, Brandon Kelly's up two to one. Shane, pick your category, yeah. Battle of Alberta or 1991. I'm going to go with the uh, bonus category of two years after 1989. Please, Ryan. I, uh, uh, okay, I don't have a specific question <laughs> for that. I think you just made that up. Um, so, But it is hockey-related, so I'm just going to give you a hockey question. Me. Why it's 1991? Oh, okay, all right. Oh, actually, wait a minute. I can put this together. Wait a minute. No, this is actually going to work. Okay. This, what you are about to hear, uh, Brennan, is the second clip. This is from the 1991 Battle of Alberta in the playoffs. Across it comes. Shot and great save by Fuhrer. Rebound still loose. Cleared away by Dave Brown. Robert Reichel who's on his off wing, so he's got a great opportunity to shoot for the perfect pass. And Fuhrer with that left leg somehow stops it, and then he leaves his stick. Game seven. That was from who won that matchup? Who advanced to the next round of the playoffs that year? Was it the Oilers or the Flames? And that was from when? 1991, the last time the Battle of Alberta happened in the playoffs. Oh. Oh, geez, I didn't even know for sure. So I'm a Flames fan, and I got in trouble last time I tried to work it out, so I'm just going to say the Flames so I don't get in trouble. The Flames is incorrect. They were the heavy favorites, but the Oilers were the defending champs that year. Uh, they lost to the Minnesota North Stars after beating the Flames, and the Stars went on to lose to the Penguins for the Cup that year. Huh. That was a great year for playoffs. All right. Brandon Kelly, you're up two to one, my friend. Pick a cat at gory. Oh, well, I guess I'll just live dangerously now for some dynamic action as well and pick the Battle okay. of Alberta because I haven't picked that one yet. 
you have not okay all right it's another uh it's another spicy question i'm gonna be pretty impressed if you get this one this one's tough all right it's the first clip by the way this is right here is one of the most infamous moments in the history of the battle of alberta right here in the second period on steve bozak that own goal is legendary and the question is why was it because it led to a game seven victory for the flames to eliminate the oilers it gave the flames enough points to qualify for the playoffs the oilers lost but rebounded on their way to the stanley cup or is it just such a massive hockey embarrassment um, well it's embarrassing always um <laughs> But I will go with it led to Game 7. It led to Game 7 victory for the Flames. <laughs> yes, that is correct. The Flames <laughs> defeated the Oilers in the 1986 playoffs. Game 7 decided when a rookie Oiler, who went on to have an incredible career, Stephen Smith, Steve Smith, accidentally scored his own goal which um, then the rivalry just kind of skyrocketed because it's like, oh, well, we would have won if we hadn't had the own goal and uh, flames, you know, defending it and just a mm-hmm. whole thing. So there you go. There's an escalation moment in the series. It was also embarrassing. It was also it was embarrassing. Very embarrassing. It was really hard on him and his family and oh, uh, it brutal. sucked. And it's happened a lot of times since, just not in such a decisive way. I feel like I got to defend uh, Steve Smith there. Um, Ryan reads the answers differently when it's the right answer. And that's what you, that's what Brendan's yeah, figured out. There's a couple of things. I'm just going, too. I a just lot of times inflection. it's the last one that he reads, but that time yeah. it wasn't. But uh, they always right. pause okay. differently. Pauses differently. Yeah. You read these things. Yeah. All right, Shane. All right. Last question is for uh, three bonus points. <sighs> sure. Sure. All right. Yeah. I'm going with uh, 1991. Inexcess. 1991. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Yeah, this is a good one. All right. Which band had the best-selling album of 1991? Was it Nirvana's Nevermind, Metallica's Black Album, R.E.M.'s Out of Time, or Dangerous by Michael Jackson? Well, my go-to was going to be um, DJ Des Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That's not on the list. No, it is not. So... The other CD I had in my car at the time would have been Talica, baby. The Black Album, Enter Sandman, is correct. That is correct. That album sold over 33 million copies worldwide in 1991. 33 million copies. It's crazy. I've learned something new with Game Showy that... uh, even better than scrolling ahead and reading the answers is just making up your own points scheme. It's a way better way to win. Yeah. 
Thanks for listening to Game Showy. <laughs> it's a game show that sounds like a game show. And we didn't have time to name it, so we called it Game Showy. Congratulations to Shane Hewitt. Who won? And Brenda Kelly. What? Why do you gotta do the thing, man? I finally once, like I was, yeah. I got, yeah. More, I got more correct. It's, this is like the popular vote versus the electoral college. And who became president? Uh, yeah, the yeah, whiny one right there. <laughs> Run. The, hey, man, I don't make the rules. I just work within the tools we're given, and the champion is crowned. <laughs> This is the Shift Podcast. Mikhailo Zernikov joins me now. Mikhailo, how are you? Uh, hi, Shane. Uh, well, relatively fine. Again, all things considered. Thank you very much. Uh, Mikhailo does not tell us where he is out of the privacy of the situation that is going on there. Former judge, policymaker, and all these things. Uh, Mikhailo, there's a long list of things to talk about here. Um, I don't, none of it seems to be good news. And I wish it were more positive, but you know this is the conversation. Um, how about right. if you don't, if you don't mind, um, you know this better than I do. So would you set the stage of what the last couple of days have looked like uh, for you, for Ukrainians, and w- what has been going on? Well, you know, um, there's summer coming. It's, re- it's really may seem it doesn't have to do anything, but you know, it's the sun is shining, and and you know, there's a feeling that. Uh, things will get back to normal. However, we just just yesterday the president uh, uh, introduced a bill uh, uh, proposing to um, um, to prolong the martial law for three more months until the end of uh, uh, the summer, basically, and to uh, you know there's probably another way of subscription coming and so on. So it's we, we know now we we are you know we're set for it's not going to end you know tomorrow. That's that's for sure because, you know, there are there are territories occupied. There are the situation is quite difficult still, even though we of course we are very um, uh, inspired by uh, you know the Lend Lease Act and all the support that we're getting from the uh, from the civilized world, and we, we really expect that you know, some of the some of the heavy weapons have already arrived. That's very necessary to you know to retake our territories that were captured. Um, some are arriving, so we're, we're expecting, you know, that that to arrive quite soon. And uh, then, of course, we'll, uh, there's lots of hopes connected to that. And that, that of course, will uh, change the theater uh, quite a bit. I think. So many things are going on. I want to start with food, Mikhailo. Uh, the U.N. has yeah. warned that the Ukrainian invasion from Russia could cause global food crisis. Now, this is one of the topics that you and I talked about. We talked about the Black Sea and the ability to get, uh, yeah. you know, economic products like all the agriculture out of ukraine into the world when you look at i refuse to call this man a genius by any means but when you look at what uh, putin has done uh, with oil and gas and waiting until more and more countries were reliant on russian oil and gas in europe and all those things i was always cautious from the very beginning that that coast of the black sea was going to be the most important piece of this puzzle all the way to moldova and then be able to go from there mm-hmm. and so when you look at just oil and gas and the squeeze on Europe, and then you look at the agriculture and all of the products uh, from this beautiful bread basket that is Ukraine, not being able to get out, let alone just the interruptions of the war, not being able to get those products out, um, 
you know, if this is a game of chess, it's not a game, but you get my point, please, with the metaphor, that um, what sure. is st- slowly becoming more evident of the economic squeeze of crushing Ukraine seems to be the attempt of. Yes, I mean, it's it's very multidimensional. Uh, there's, uh, it's what's called hybrid war because, you know, there's been an active, even before the active part of the invasion in the 4th of February, the, the war's been going on for eight years, actually. Uh, you know, with, uh, with the use of regular Russian army or some proxies or different kind of things, but also economically, energetically. And then when we talk to, you know, to the Germans saying, look at the Nord Stream 2, what the hell are you doing? Uh, they, you know, I, I talked to President Steinmeier, uh, personally, and we, you know, we told him, listen, this is a, this is a huge mistake. This is a, and sorry, but perhaps a mixing just laughed at our face saying, oh, you know, we're exaggerating, whatever. The Baltics told him the same. You know, the Poland told them the same. Um, luckily, now they're probably coming back to census in a way, even though uh, there's still, you know, there's still this um, um, wrong idea in the heads of a lot of uh, European politicians who think that things can be back to normal with Putin or that they have to, you know, to save face, whatever that means. How can you save face when your army commits genocide on your orders? How can you, after, you know, all the multi-hundred billion dollar destructions, after so many deaths, after mass graves, mass rapes, like that's, that's uh, you know, it's very strange to, to, to hear that from, uh, from the world leaders. So, uh, yes, and, and, you know, the, the, the bread thing, you know, the, the um, food thing, of course, uh, there's another crisis uh, that is caused by this aggressive war by Putin. And uh, uh, it's important to understand that it's, it is Russia that is... Uh, responsible for that because you know some uh, maybe willingly maybe not so much but to frame it in a way you know oh you quote unquote ukraine crisis or ukraine war caused this and that no it's russia caused that ukraine is a victim and the whole world or at least those who are suffering are victims and now we're all bare costs of uh, you know not being involved before not being uh decisive enough to you know to counter that aggression beforehand yeah um, very well said. So uh, let's take our conversation, Mikhailo, to Mariupol. My understanding from earlier reports from a few days ago was that there was already a deal struck with that, that um, the Ukrainian soldiers that were there were going to be um, taken away and then swapped, like the deal had been done. Now, some of the reports are saying that there is no deal to swap soldiers and 900 um, defenders sent to a prison camp now, not to mention the ones that were hurt and sick from being in there, too. Can you give us some insight on what's going on here? Because I, I guess I feel surprised that anybody would trust or believe that anything that the Russians had said to Ukraine was actually going to happen. Um, so I find that to be um, a little bit surprising that there might have been a deal here, but there's not really a deal here. What's the accurate info? Uh, well, first of all, thanks Shane, for, for being so realistic. And that's I wish, you know, a lot of uh, world politicians, world leaders had, you know, as much sense as you do. Trust in Russians is not a good policy. However, you know, the, the situation is in Mariupol is dire and, and, and was dire and, and, and still is, I think. So, you know, you, uh, there's basically there, there's several hundred defenders surrounded by hugely overwhelming Russian forces uh, and they do not have the successfully defend. You know, for almost 90 days now, they successfully defend, um, been defending, you know, the, the whole thing for 
for this long time without any additional, you know, medicine, food, water, even um, uh, arms. So, uh, I mean, shells or whatever they need to, you know, to proceed fighting. It's 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 miraculous how they could hold so uh, so long. So um, the situation here, I think, it was well. First of all, there's, there's little information about this, and and uh, whatever's out is maybe not accurate specifically because you know these processes are often sensitive and, and I think pretty much always sensitive. And we've been asked, everybody who, you know, comments on things to not, um, if we have any information, to not let it, because, you know, the, the, this, these um, swaps of uh, soldiers and, and things like this, they they love silence. So uh, the, the, the less there information there is, the better for the situation. Uh, but I but also this, um, I think it, it's in a mutual interest, um, if, if that can be said about, you know, the, the two countries that are at war, uh, because, uh, you know, for Russia, it's even internally, it, it, is, uh, it is a big blunder to, you know, to not be being able to, um, to capture Azovstal, which is just a steel plant, uh, with all its army and, like, a bun- just a bunch of defenders defending. I mean, I'm trying to kind of uh, uh, look at it from quote unquote their point of view. But uh, for us, of course, the most important thing is, is the lives of our soldiers who, you know, the, the territory we can retake and we will retake later on. But, uh, you know, those defenders who are there, those heroes who, who fought uh, and who successfully defended against the whole Russian army, that's what's important. What is, what is going on right now, I can't really say because A, I don't know, B, I'd rather not say if I, even if I knew, uh, let's, let's hope that they will come back home soon. And, uh, you know, uh, in one piece, and, and then we can, you know, discuss the details. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, we're not going to know the info until the work is done, right? You don't really know. Exactly. Yes. Um, and maybe it's uh, one of those things that we do as humans where we at least create some sort of narrative based on the fragments of information that we have in order to create some understanding. Uh, you know, I, I always find... and. I suppose the evidence is all around you in Ukraine right now is that when you don't have the information, your brain always wants to fill in those gaps. And I don't know what's more dangerous for us in our own minds is having the truth and the accurate information that at times can be ugly, or is it just having tiny little fragments of information and trying to put it together and letting your imagination take away uh, or go go run free on you. It must be a difficult part of being through all this, Mikhailo. Now, you and your job, your profession, you've been a lot of conversations around policy and what's going on. You know lots of people, uh, to put it simply. Uh, but it must be very difficult at times when you don't have information with everything going on. Just the human part, Mikhailo, just like the human part that you, mm-hmm. you want to know, but you don't really want to know. Right, I think it's 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 very it's quite philosophical. It's extremely well put. Thank you, Shane. Yes, yeah, I think you know. Of course, you want to know the things because the first thing you do, like for the last three months, the first thing you do is like the the, the, the time that passes uh, between you know you opening your eyes in the morning and, and and looking at the news is like non-existent. It's like two seconds. The first thing you do is you check you, you check the news. What's what happened? What's happening? You know what's going on and so on. So it's become like a reflex because you want you want to know you don't want to be in the dark. On the other hand, you know you don't want to be always in this uh, loop of just scrolling, you know, the, the timeline and just looking at some other or the same news re- 
rewritten by different, you know, media outlets because, you know, you, you're then, that just makes your life then. And, you know, you're just, just being miserable because you always think of the war and you're just being depressed. It's not, it's not productive. It doesn't help. So, you know, it's probably, it's probably, a, and, and especially I think, of course, you know, there's, uh, there are, there are reasons why there's propaganda during war, you know, to keep the spirits up. To do, but, but you know, there's there should be also a limit to that. As as in everything, there should be a you know a, a, a balance. Uh, you, you shouldn't just lie to people, or sh- you shouldn't tell things that aren't true. So I think you know, um, I think we're doing all right on this on this information front uh, so far, because you know, at, at, on one hand, we have we still have the spirit high, and I think it will. It will continue doing like this. On the other hand, we do not, uh, you know, we, we, we do not uh, disseminate too much information to, to you know, to give it to uh, um, uh, to the enemy or, or, or whatnot. So um, yeah, when it comes to policymaking, though, it's, it's now extremely important. Now, now we're in a phase where we're already designing the, you know, the rebuilding of the country and you know reconstruction. Uh, when it comes to both uh, infrastructure and institutions, and that's that's an extremely important process. To not repeat what we're going through right now, we have to become, you know, a once and for all a stable, you know, strong country in all terms. You know, rule of law, economy, all that, and it's a perfect moment to do this. And uh, I, I'd like to call on everybody who's involved in, uh, you know, this policy making. The EU just released, or well, they did not release it. Or the press wrote about this, but uh, supposedly. The, the EU's plan for Ukraine reconstruction would include them financing a lot of it, but demanding reforms in return, which I think is a brilliant strategy, uh, because, you know, without, uh, you know, we just can't get back to normal, quote-unquote, because we, uh, what's the normal in Ukraine is not very strong institutions, mildly put, and, you know, courts included, and, and all that, and that doesn't help to successfully defend against Russia or whoever else, but I, we're, we're not thinking of anybody else right now we know mm-hmm. number one threat in the world. So what I'm trying to say, uh, we have to change. We're working uh, for it. And uh, again, uh, I think the West, sh- what, what they should do is, of course, they should provide aid to Ukraine. But when it comes to not not something that is absolutely necessary right here, right now, such as weapons or immediate financial support, you know, to close the gaps in the budget. But, you know, the reconstruction and all that, that should be tied to uh, the transformation of the country. And I think this way, everybody will be better off. And some people might be put off by that, you know, that the EU expects reforms from Ukraine. Just so everyone understands, Ukraine, for the most part, uh, the majority of the, the, the folks that were voting in, the governments they voted for and so on, were working with reforming some of the old former Soviet Union uh policies and ideas and thinking and i mean so that, that was happening before this even started i just don't want anyone to be put off by the notion that the eu is going to dictate what goes on in ukraine that's not the case these are ukrainians building ukraine um and and building it to a place where it fits into a different world than it used to fit into um with your policy that you mentioned uh mikhailo uh we're seeing the reports now of a russian soldier pleading guilty of uh pleading guilty of war crimes your background, you understand a lot of these things a lot differently. Um, it must be vindicating for Ukrainians to see that some of these court cases have already started, uh, which is amazing. And at the same time, I can't help, and I'm curious your thoughts, and I, I don't want to be offside. I don't want to uh, say this wrong, but I've just got to be honest with it. When I see the young man who is on trial, you can't help but realize he's just a boy. 
Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to. Well, first of all, let, let me just finish a little bit on on the previous one. Um, it's not that. No, of course, it's not the EU that dictates what Ukraine should do. Right? That's very much up to the Ukrainians. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, however, what I'm trying to say is that the you know the reforms are in a mutual interest. You know, the the uh, the West already saw that Ukraine is part of the West, and Ukraine is really you know literally ready to people ready to die to defend the values we're that, that are dear to us, uh, and that's you know that that's very important. But at the same time, it's it's in our mutual interest so we you know not let the old habits prevail and you know the, the worst nightmare that i'm having is that you know we uh with huge losses with huge that are, that we're already are bearing you know we will defend successfully we will uh get russia out of our territory but then we'll come back to you know the old practices that's that's not going to happen that's not, that's not something that should happen so i mean it's, it's it's a very good policy in terms of it's first of all in our best interest to be you know an effective uh country with rule of law and strong economy and strong army and all that um now coming back to um, that thing, uh, yeah, the boy, yeah, he's a boy. That is because uh, you know Russia doesn't have um, a lot of good soldiers anymore. They're they're just they just you know they're just hiring or conscripting people who are you know very young of age. That's that's true. That's a lot of them are that. But it shouldn't you know uh, I, I it's it's a it's a slippery slope you know to have too much sympathy for these guys because boy or not it was his choice to commit these crimes i mean uh you can you can talk whatever you know you want about the how situation is bad for russians in russia but it's again the russians responsibility they are the people of the country they uh, agreed to change their civil rights to swap them for you know relative comfort of gas money and uh, that is why you know nobody opposed putin for how many years, 25, 20 something, you know, this boy was born when Putin was president and a lot of his, you know, I don't know what will happen to him next, but a lot of his comrades died when Putin is still president. That's all their life is Putin. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it, they may be seen as a, also the, no, I, I, I can't call them victims of the situation. They did rape, they did kill, torture civilians, uh, and they should bear the responsibilities as easy as this. Yeah, I'm not being sympathetic to him, by the way. I just want to be uh, clear on that. I just, I'm no, so no, I'm surprised. Not, right? in, in, no, in no way, sorry, in no way I am criticizing you. I'm just saying, you yeah. know, the, also hu- as a human being, you look, yes, he's a boy, and then you understand that boy just, you know, killed or tortured or raped uh, those dear to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and very well said. A personal question for you. Mikhailo Zernikov joins us from Ukraine uh, through the power of all this technology where we can do this today, which is also remarkable. You were talking a little bit about, you know, following the news and waking up in the morning and checking your phone and all those things. And I've been uh, the word discipline has really been present for me over the last few days, Mikhailo. And um, and. It was a statement that we chatted about on the show last night, which you didn't get a chance to hear. And the place I heard it was from Tony Robbins, but uh, just to give him credit, I don't even know if he wrote it, but it was basically, and I'm summarizing, is that, you know, the pain of discipline is uh, a lot easier than the pain of regret. And that's really stuck with me through these conversations. And I was curious for you, I mean, your job is to know what's going on. And at the same time, I'm sure there must be moments where you must have the discipline to put the war down on your phone and walk away from it. 
Um, can you help us understand what that looks like for you? And uh, as long as you're comfortable with it, of course, you know, it's a personal question. But what does that discipline mm-hmm. look like to get through this, to be able to put it down at least for a brief moment so you can walk away? I think it also came from some business trainers or whatever, first personal coaches. First of all, I think the quote is brilliant. Second, mm-hmm. um, uh, so w- what I learned is, you know, to batch your activities. I think it's one of the best uh, time managing um, uh, advice, uh, pieces of advice. So you, um, if, you, if, you, if you have to have just generally, if you have to have, I don't know, 10 calls, you don't go, oh, I write 15 minutes of, uh, I don't know, a text, and then I have a call, and then it, it doesn't work this way. So you, you take half an hour, you do your calls, or like an hour, whatever it takes, uh, and then you go back to writing. So it's, it's the activities that your brain, you know, uh, switches to, and you have to uh, adjust, and you, your brain has to, you know, um, uh, uh, set itself in the right mood, so to say, to, mm-hmm. to do one or another. Uh, the same way I batch, you know, my um, time when I when I read the news, I just muted all my, you know, all, all the channels uh, w- where I get my news from, and I only have specific times. Or if I if I have to know uh, the news right now, what's what's the latest, I then uh, deliberately go and check, rather than you know they, them popping up on my phone every now and then, or basically every second or every minute because it's, there's a lot of them right now. So mm-hmm. it, it helps. First of all, you know, you first of all, emotionally, I think it's, you know, and, and both from the point of view of time management and from a point of view of psychology, you know, you, you know, now you can, you know, there, there's a time in, in the day you, you, you want to, you may look at something inspiring, you know, our forces were taking territories, whatever that is, international help, maybe something different, but you're prepared for that. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you just, you just, you just t- tell yourself to forget about, uh, you know, in a way, the, 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 the way you can, of course, you can't, you can't get, get it out of your head, but uh, just work, concentrate on what is important right now, write text, I don't know, whatever you're doing. And then, you know, if you have a, a minute, a free minute, and you want to check news, or if you need it for your work, then go do it when you want it, not when the device or the news outlet wants it. Mikhailo Zernikov is uh, joining us from Ukraine. As always, uh, Mikhailo, thank you very much for being a part of this conversation and letting us inside your world. I really appreciate you, sir. Thank you very much, Shane. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Traveling is awesome. Until it's not. <laughs> uh, Claire, Claire Newell, uh, Travel Best Bets is here. Travel Best Bets. Give it a Google. Uh, go to TravelBestBets.com to find more details on all of the things that we talk about. And uh, where do you want to start, Claire? Because I was in the airport today. They said be there three hours early for the security. Security was great where I was. Was it? But boy, oh boy, they could not get ramp crews to move an airplane uh, or pack bags. It's always something. There's a glitch along the way. It feels like all... Mm. It doesn't feel... Like it, it, anything like travel pre-pandemic in my mind. I, I I flew last week. My parents flew last week. My daughter flew last week. Everyone had a hiccup along the way. You know, someone had a really long lineup going through security. Um, another lost a bag. And it's whatever, whatever is happening along the way, a lot of it is to do with the fact that there is this massive labor shortage. And so 
at some point, you know, the here in Vancouver, where I am, the CATSA screeners, it's just, it's so slow. They're telling people to get to the airport, even for a domestic flight, three or four hours prior to departure. And then your situation, you didn't have a problem going through security, but no, you had to wait. They did. <laughs> They did a great job. Like security was great. It was well organized. Everything was was awesome. And then the ramp crews. But I would like to acknowledge one thing. Um, don't beat up on these folks at all because they there is a thing called a rake in an airport. And a rake, there's different there's three different kinds of rakes that I understand anyway. The two most important ones are you have to be supervised everywhere you go, or you can go anywhere you need to go that you're allowed by your, your category of employee. Right. What that means is, is that's a little card that you can scan to go in the airport when you work there. You can go anywhere you need to go. Do your job. But if you just start, you have to have someone supervise you everywhere you go within eyeshot. If you're going to the bathroom, someone has to go to the bathroom with you because they have to supervise you everywhere you go. Now, that's a federal government thing. So this is not the local airports. It is not any of that. When I got my very first rake, I mean, this was in the 2018, 2019. Right. And it, I was six weeks or two months. That was back then. So imagine what people are going through now. So these, if they're trying to get jobs, they have to have security clearance. And now they're trying to hire so many people and they need training and they need their security rake so they can actually do their job by themselves. So this is a federal government thing. Just so you know, it's not the airports. Let's not beat up on the wrong people. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be uh, these kind of issues are going to be around for a while. And you're so right. I hear it at the airport, the frustration in, in people's voices and really shooting the messenger. And you can't in this situation. No one expected a pandemic to go on for over two years. And the hiring and the training is what they're in the process of right now. It will get better. But in the meantime, you should hear the headlines that I've been reading in the travel industry. Just because of labor shortages this this week and last, this is what I've heard. British Airways is cutting 200 flights, 200 routes from their summer schedule the entire wow. season. EasyJet removing seats from aircraft to reduce the number of cabin crew. They're going to be using three cabin crew instead of four. Uh, yeah, that, that's based on how many people are on the plane. That's exactly so that makes right. Totally, yeah. yeah. Um, another carrier, I can't remember which one it was, but a, another UK carrier, I think it might have been Ryanair, but don't, you know, don't quote me on that one. Um, they asked that people bring their own food because there would be not enough flight crew to hand out the the snacks. So this type of thing we're going to see over and over. And I think because we're starting to see this over in Europe, likely we'll see some of that come here into play somewhere in North America. And might just be the, the ultra low cost carriers, maybe that Spirit or Southwest or JetBlue. But if they have to take out seats, they're going to do it too, to be able to, to keep those planes flying. But yeah. um, the other thing we're starting to see is that, you know, this is a really good time if you've wanted to work in the travel industry, whether you want to be uh, working at airports or you want to work in flight crew or whatever, it, they're so desperate. This would be a great time to get mm -hmm. into the industry for sure. I did it. I did it. I loved it. I love being at the airport. I mean, if you ever want to find me as an old man, <laughs> I will be a guy working at an airport. I mean, it's just that simple. So I absolutely loved it. I will caution one thing, what I learned uh, today, uh, well, not today, uh, that I learned on Monday, Claire, okay. when I flew was that, 
So when we landed in Ottawa, there was a red alert, which means that there's lightning, usually within a 10-mile radius or, or five-mile radius, depending on the airport. Right. And so when there's a red alert, nothing happens on the ramp. Like, you can't do anything. If you're lucky, they can um, bring in a plane if the plane has the automated um, arrival system. And then they can gate the plane. You can get off the plane, but your bags aren't leaving. And so imagine this. So hour one, you know, ramp guys got to get the bags off plane one. Hour two, plane two. Hour three, plane three. Well, if none of those planes have been deplaned yet, and they're all those bags, you're still talking one guy to get those three planes done. Oh, my. And so, so with a staff shortage, plus when something goes wrong... Uh, it gets worse. And when I was here, there was a red alert, so I don't put any blame on everybody. Frankly, uh, the WestJet staff was unbelievable in how they handled it with everybody. They were wandering around through the baggage carousels, being kind, saying, hey, this is what's happening, explaining what the red alert is. They're just not allowed to get the bags off the plane yet, all that stuff. It was two hours oh, to get the bags. Oh, no. You know, I... I had a kind of a similar situation with my daughter. She was moving back from Arizona where she was going to university coming back with two bags and one was lost and it was along with about 20 other people's bags. So obviously a cart had been, you know, mishandled and it went somewhere else and they couldn't find it. We were two hours in the airport waiting for it and it just never came. It eventually got back to her literally within just shy of 36 hours. It was at our front door. So the airlines are doing what they need to, but this type of thing where things are going missing, it's a lot of it's new or understaffed. And I, mm-hmm. I feel so bad for everybody, but there's so much frustration um, across the board. It really like, yeah. and, and now I'm so worried about things like nav Canada and making sure that they have enough um, air traffic controllers. So can you imagine if yeah, that because you worry that's a really skilled position. I think it's like three mm-hmm. or four or five years of schooling and they have you know, really math heavy and they have to take lots of well, breaks. Your, your qualification exam is even um, unbelievable. It's a timed exam that you have to score a certain point level within a certain amount of time. Like getting your access to that is incredible. Yeah. Although the $300,000 paycheck can be all right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But- hey, go into that, kids. If any of you are listening and thinking about what a career, <laughs> that might be something that you want to do. <laughs> yeah, if you can handle the stress, it's all for you. Okay, let's talk about traveling. Masks are a thing oh. in some places, but not others. But I have the best argument to wear a mask on an airplane ever, okay. but I'll let you go first. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about facts. Uh, masks. So face masks are um, optional in the US. That was the first kind of area to, to give it a, the option. Now, EU, as of May the 16th, Monday, May 16th, Europe started doing this. And the update, of course, is coming because so many of the European countries are relaxing or lifting their pandemic-related restrictions. So I I was expecting this. I just want to say this. While the mask requirement is going to be dropped, CDC in the U.S. and the EU Aviation Safety Agency, they are still saying that a face mask is one of the best protections against transmission of COVID-19. So you will catch me wearing one on every flight chain. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, hey, that's the cool part. Now you can make your choice. It's not like they're saying you can't wear a mask. They're just saying just you don't have to wear a mask, which is, you know, which is good. I mean. Yes. That's the point of all these. But just things. keep in mind, this Canada's not doing this yet. So if you're on an Air Canada or a Western or any other Canadian carrier, you must wear a mask. So it's not optional. Yep. So it's going to be confusing. Even if you're not in Canada. That's right. Even if you're right. not in Canada. I was on a flight. Air Canada was the last flight I went on coming back from Arizona. I'd been there for uh, Lauren's grad, my daughter's grad. And I can tell you there were some people 
who were mighty pissed. They were, yeah. they were, they were Americans clearly coming up yeah. here and they did not want to, they are saying my government doesn't says that I don't have to wear one. And the poor yeah. flight attendants having to say, I'm sorry, you're now in Canada and Canada says you must wear one. So if you want to mm-hmm. go on this carrier, you need to have a mask that covers your nose and mouth. <laughs> Well, and that must be confusing because when you're walking around the airport, I'm sure you don't have to wear no, it in the States. Right. And then now you're getting on a Canadian plane and now you have to put a mask on to get on the plane. So whereas in Canada, you do have to wear your mask at the airport all the time. So here's the best argument ever. This is one of the things that I've learned through the pandemic, Claire, yeah. that is unbelievable. And so I like to try to sleep on the plane. But I, 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 my head hangs and all those things, right? I'm always worried about drooling. Right, right. The, the, thing, the thing about the mask, and I've caught myself doing it now a couple of times because you never really know how you sleep, right, Ew. on a plane until you wake up. The mouth right? hanging open and all that. I don't want to, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> it. I woke up on the plane with my head kind of tilted forward, kind of leaning against the window. My mouth was wide open. <laughs> And I was sound asleep. I had an eye pillow over my eyes and I had a black mask on my face. I probably looked like I was going to rob a liquor store. <laughs> and um, and I woke up. My mouth was wide open. It's not the first time ever. So trust me, if you have a mask on your face and you think I can't sleep like that, just think of this. <laughs> Nobody will know <laughs> if you're a mouth open sleeper drooling or anything with the mask. Oh, so it's, it's not true. all bad. Hey, and if you're a, a gal going on a plane, like there's just nothing better than not needing to wear makeup and just nice clean face. And I'm like you, I worry how I'm going to sleep and everyone around me going, Hey, look, there's Claire Newell with her mouth open. <laughs> so I, exactly. I, there's so many reasons not to mention the, the health reasons to wear a mask. I'm a fan. Yeah. Not to mention my kids would probably try to stuff things in my mouth. So, um, okay, let's talk about deals. I have some questions for you about travel in general because I've seen some friends go through some stuff leaving and arriving in Canada. So let's talk about deals and then let's talk about what you need to know if you're coming or going internationally. Okay, I do want to talk about this. Um, the, there, there are two big challenges when it comes to airfare pricing. And one of them is, of course, the surging fuel prices because um, of Russia's war on Ukraine. And it's forced the airlines to obviously have to pay more for fuel, but also um, because there's big reroutings to avoid Russian and Ukrainian airspace. And it's disrupting um, a lot of that. So it's really it's, it's a twofold on the fuel. The other is the labor. And so with airlines like just the one that I mentioned with British Airways cutting 200 flights from their summer schedule. Another one that comes to mind, JetBlue canceled almost 10% of their flights through the month of May. Again, staff shortages. So with less flights, but the surge in demand for travel, we are not seeing any last-minute deals. In fact, I'm telling people, if you see a deal, you need to book in advance and lock in the lower rates. And that's going to also help you avoid future uh, surcharges if the fuel get, goes up. It's um, it's not like it was pre-pandemic with when you would get these really great last-minute deals. They're just not out there. There is one little pocket that I am seeing, though. I, I, so I am going to you know take that back a tiny bit. I'm seeing some mm-hmm. very, very good deals on seven-night Alaska cruises that are sailing round-trip from Vancouver. And that is because there's a lot of ships and people were nervous. You, you know as well as I do, Shane. The, the cruise industry has been through the ringer through COVID, um, but they are doing a mighty fine job. I'm actually going to go on board 
a ship uh, May the 29th. I'm sailing May 29th to uh, June the 5th, and I'm going to do all sorts of updates. I want to go myself firsthand, see what it's like, see what the, the protocols are. We're selling so much of it. I just want to give people the skinny. Um, so I am seeing pockets. And th- there are a you know, few other things here and there. Work with a travel agent, though. Make sure that the deals are flexible, like they've got good terms and conditions. Um, but yeah, but at, cancellation, yeah, can't get insurance if there is a non-refundable deposit that has to be paid. But if this gives you any indication, my husband and I, we have two kids. One will be working. One will be in fourth year university, and we have a very tight window over Christmas to be able to get away. I booked it and finalized it in February, and I'm so glad wow. I did because it is now hundreds of dollars more expensive per person. Yeah. It's going to be remarkable uh, where it's going to go. I'm worried. I'm worried post sort of that mid-October, early November, and even some of the hotel deals you start to see. Um, there's some of the emails, and there's one of my favorites in Hawaii. They had a 50% off sale last December, and it was good until, I think it was good until December 15th or 20th, because then it really gets expensive in right. Hawaii. And and I didn't do it, and I should have done it, because it was fully refundable, book your room now, Everything and I didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, and Nuts. That, see, that's the thing of the people that were willing to take the risk early. And we kept saying that if you can do it, book it now. The deals are so good, the flexibility is so good. Now, that's not the case. Now, if you want the lowest rate, it's a non refundable rate that's back in the system as the lowest rates. Um, but I know since you mentioned Hawaii, there are pockets of things. Like, I love this deal that's uh, this one happens to be out of Vancouver. You can, of course, get it from anywhere in the country with, just with add ons, but it's a uh, uh, Vancouver to Honolulu, November first through until December the tenth. The flight and seven nights hotel eight ninety nine. Taxes are two oh. two eighty five. But that's a deal. Like I think that's a great. deal. That's a huge deal. Yeah, a five hundred five hundred and five dollars return from Calgary is really like that's a smoker of a deal just for the airfare. And if you're getting any hotel room that's for a hundred and for a decent place, one hundred fifty bucks US or one hundred twenty five bucks US in Hawaii. I mean, so that's that's a smoker. Yeah, and I, another smoker that I think is kind of a fun one, and I, it's still poolside weather down in Vegas at this time. It's September the 5th to 19th. So that's traditionally quite a cheap time to go because so many parents are putting their kids back in school and ballet and soccer and everything that goes along with that. So but this is a five-star Vegas package. You can do it September 5th to the 19th. It's airfare and three nights at a five-star hotel, either the Palazzo or the Venetian, both gorgeous. Three ninety nine, taxes are two two oh three. That's a steal, right? That's a steal. That sounds that's more more my budget. I like that. Okay, so if you are leaving the country and coming back, here's what I've seen. I know you've got a story about ArriveCan too. So um, I'm looking to go to Ireland in June. Something last minute has come up. It's an amazing opportunity. So totally totally fun. How do I find out what I need to go? What do I do? I need to know as a Canadian to come back. Because we just uh, had somebody I know, they're going to the States and they booked their code because you need a COVID test to go to America yep. and you have to have it within 24 hours. They got theirs outside 24 hours, got denied boarding, had to go back and get another test and they fly the next day. Yeah. So y- you need to know this stuff. Yeah. So, well, just because, you know, 
you are talking to me, I can let you know about your island, Ireland. You don't need anything Thank other you. than your vaccination to go to Ireland. Um, okay. No COVID tests required on the way back. You'll need to uh, just fill out your Arrive Can app within 72 hours of your return flight back to Canada. So that's pretty straightforward. The one thing um, that, you know, I can't speak to every location because people are going different places and they're going different routes. So they might have a connection flight. One of the best websites. So if you're listening and you have a trip planned and you're not really sure what you need, go and Google the words Sherpa travel. So Sherpa, S-H-E-R-P-A, and the word travel and up will pop something that says uh, Sherpa travel restrictions. Click that link and it looks like a, it looks as if you're putting in your flights and to get information but you put in vaccinated or not, where your passport's from. So obviously Canada, and then you would um, put your vaccination status and your route of travel, the dates you're traveling, and even the connections. And it will give you everything that you're going to need, both going to a destination and coming. Honestly, it's my best friend at the moment. I, I, I must go to that website 20 times a day. Um, so mm-hmm. you should ha- you know, favorite that, especially for the, the, the foreseeable future with respect to travel. Um, I think it's important. One of the the hiccups that you had mentioned, you know, you have an arrive can story. I do. Um, A lot of people are taking Alaska cruises. There's ships sailing every day almost from the port of Vancouver doing round trip uh, Vancouver or just going up to Alaska one way. Whether it's to Alaska or Hawaii or down to California or if you're going to be leaving uh, from the East Coast and doing Canada and New England cruises later this year at the moment. And I I think this is going to happen for the rest of the year, probably for the cruise ship season. You have to, even as a Canadian citizen, if you're boarding the ship, have to fill out the Arrive Can app or the website if you don't carry a smartphone. And it has to be done within 72 hours of boarding the ship. Now, people keep... I, I hear it all the time. No, I don't have to do that. I'm not going, I'm not in the States coming back or I'm not uh, outside of Canada. They have made this rule and it's for using Arrive Can for proof of the vaccination status because in Canada, to get on board a ship, you have to have your vaccination status. This is the only way that they prove it. It's a quick way. So that receipt has to be shown or you're not getting on board a ship. And what's happening is a lot of people aren't realizing this and the lineups, people are missing their cruises because they, they wow. haven't got it dealt with. So it is so important to know whether if, it doesn't matter if you're leaving, you know, for say a Montreal to New York city cruise, whatever, um, or coming back in, you just have to have it before you board. So this is why you use a travel agent, because if your travel agent does not give you this info, then you need a new travel agent. Yes, exactly. But unfortunately, it's a lot of people within the industry that are even questioning this. So I just want to get the word out. You know, this is something that is this is the rule. It actually came into effect in April and it allows people, even if they're going on a 14 day cruise, they can they can board it. But and they can even fill it all out 72 hours prior. All right, travelbestbets.com. Claire Noel, you can um, go and learn more. We will put the Sherpa link in these things and the Travel Best Bets link on the shiftheads.ca page so everyone can go and click their way over uh, and say hello. That would be certainly nice. Thank you for the insights. I will be personally reaching out uh, for some uh, help and understanding of what I need you to know, do. So, any, by the way, anytime you want, Shane. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 